Yo, yo, and welcome to the Professor Jones and the Digs podcast. My name is Dave Jones, and I am the Professor. My name is Tony. Danny is not here, but he is the Digs. <laughs> Professor Jones is a podcast dedicated to the art of film and cinema. Every month, we choose a certain theme and pick three movies within that theme. Every week, we break down one of those movies for our movie of the week. And this week, we are rounding off the scary movie month of October and doing everybody's favorite, The Shining. Ooh. It's actually funny. I took a random poll... This week I, d- I didn't write anything down, but I was just asking people what their favorite scary movies were. And The Shining came up um, pretty much more than any other movie. I can't yeah. think of uh, anything besides Scream. Scream came up quite a bit, um, but The Shining was definitely the... I, I got a lot of responses of The Shining. So. I think I think I realized that through the month, kind of talking to people about scary movies. Because we originally, um, maybe just to let the listeners know, we kind of were planning on maybe doing Cabin in the Woods. Uh, we had... That planned out. Uh, we had a couple other scary movies in mind. And then as the month went on and, yeah, talked to people about different scary movies, The Shining just kind of kept popping up. Um, and then you watch it and you kind of realize why. I hadn't seen it in a while. It had been a nice long while. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I'm the same on that. Um, but let's jump in. Let's jump in and do the, uh, the do the bro down here, which is a segment in which we talk about something that we thought was particularly relevant throughout the week, enough to bring it up on the podcast. Um, but I'm gonna let you start off this week and see what see what you have to say. Perfect. And, uh, I'll figure out what I'm I'm gonna say based off yours. Okay. Um, something uh, <sighs> that I something that I realized this week. Um, was I went back and watched Wonder Woman for the first time. Uh, I had never seen Wonder Woman, so uh, me and my you girlfriend... You went back and watched it for the first time? I, sorry, I phrased that right. <laughs> I, uh, I re-watched Wonder Woman for the first time. Uh, <laughs> no, so I had never seen it, and my girlfriend and I uh, decided to watch it, and man, did that movie suck. That's, uh, that's my, this is my just bro down for the week. Gosh, it just like, I don't know. So for the past like six months, everybody's been talking about Wonder Woman and how it's lifted DC off the track that they were on. And this is the mo- this is the saving grace for this, you know, universe. And so I hadn't seen it, but just in my head, I've been getting a little bit excited for Justice League just because of that knowledge in my head. Like, oh, well, Wonder Woman was a good movie, so I should be excited for Justice League. And man, we watched this movie the other night, and we just hated it. I mean, it was so bad. So bad. I don't really know where to start. I think uh, what really tipped the cake for me was they had Professor Lupin as the bad guy. And he's this big... Spoilers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Not too much. Just, I don't know. So yeah, that's my thoughts. It's just, it was not... That great, like the the beginning of it was kind of cool. How they had the Amazons or Amazonians? Would it be Ama? Uh, you know, I honestly can't even remember. Am- Am- yeah, the Amazons. Amazonian. Or yeah. Amazonans. Um, I can't. I can't remember what exactly they were called, but yeah, yeah. The girls. The girls on the. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. and they were actually like a, an old. Um, 
a group of a group of women in Greek in Greek culture. Uh, yeah. So I mean, there is there is historical basis for that. Uh, but I don't know what what did you not like about it though? Was it like the story, or yeah, did you just not think just, the characters were that well the played? Story, or? Uh, Gal Gadot's acting, I just thought was terrible. I think she's you know she's beautiful. And that's cool, but I just thought she was really not great. Chris Pine was a saving grace in the movie. Definitely. I really disliked the little This is so bizarre that you are, you are that this strongly opinionated against this movie because yeah. it's not that bad. I I don't think. I don't think that I don't think the Wonder Woman was that bad. Uh, I don't think it's good. I don't think it's great, but it's not that bad. I don't know. Just something about it just kind of ticked me the wrong way. I it really, it honestly just felt like they remade Captain America just on the DC side. Um, That's a good point. The little band of characters that they brought together, like the Native American guy, the little, uh, I don't even know. The actor guy. Yeah, the actor guy. Um, gosh, so funny. He's like the soldier, but he's like 5'2". <laughs> he was like such a tiny little guy. A little, little uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, that kind of bugged me. And gosh, Gal got it, man. Like at the end, I won't say what. I guess I won't spoil what is happening to Chris Pine's character. But when she says Steve, she's like Steve, Steve. <laughs> and there's a scene that is flashing to Chris Pine in a plane, and she's like Steve. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even focus right now. Just the way that she says it, man. Like her voice is just. Ugh! It gives me like goosebumps. It was, I don't know. I really didn't like it. I didn't like Wonder Woman. I can't believe that, especially the Gal Gadot thing. She's great. I I loved her. I thought she was like one of the most redeeming parts of that movie. I thought her acting was fantastic. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I firmly disagree. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, also just the basis of having the bad guy in the movie be... um, Ares or Ares, the god of war, and Zeus, and all this, you know, Greek mythology stuff that I just find really hard to believe, especially when you're making a movie about a superhero that coincides with Batman and like Gotham City. So then you're just thinking about this world that they live in, and you're like, wait, so Ares, the god of war, had some touch on the world that Batman is living in, and it just kind of throws everything off for me. I'm like, I don't, I don't like. Well, did that. you like Thor though? Uh, well, I, I mean, that's Marvel. Marvel's cool, and I, I get having that huge universe. When it comes to DC, I want it to be, I want it to be. I'm not. I, I don't have any problems with aliens and things like that, like Superman and all that. But I don't like. I just don't like the the Zeus and Ares thing at all. It's like bringing like Medusa into this or something too. I don't know. Marvel just did it maybe just in a better way. Also Thor though, the original Thor movie I didn't like. I didn't love the original Thor movie either. Too. Yeah. Um, but I mean it it is this I feel like it's the same fundamental like premise, you know, bringing bringing an old uh old lore and old mythology into this world. And I know that DC tries to take things seriously, but I th- I really thought that I thought that Wonder Woman did it in a pretty pretty good way. I didn't think it was And you liked I think Lupin? It was, yeah, I really thought that that was a great twist. I really liked that twist. 
I thought it was awesome because I, at first I, I hated the bad guy. I thought that the um, whatever Nazi um, bad guy it was, I was like, oh, man, it's this same dude again. What's that guy's name? Um, I can't remember. But he's, you know, he was uh, Riker in uh, or what is it? Striker in the X-Men. Uh, oh, yeah. Like Origins or whatever. And I was like, man, I'm so sick of seeing this. Is it like Danny Houston or something like that? I, I'm so Danny sick of K. seeing that guy in movies. He's just the same same thing and everything. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was a really good twist at the end. I thought it was Gosh, pretty when fun. They had, when they showed the flashback of him, though, all buff and, like, oily. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, it is fairly unbelievable. It is fairly that. unbelievable. Um, I just but- thought that actor was. I like. I appreciate the twist, maybe in the plot line of having that character. But I did for once. I did. I disagreed with that guy's casting. Usually, I see that actor. I don't know his name. You know David Thewlis. David Thewlis. Uh, usually, I see him, and I'm like, nice. He's in this, but in this movie. I was happy he was in it until he was the bad guy. And then I was like, oh, man, you're not a god. Like, just bad. No, you're not big, buff, strong god, dude. (laughs) You're scarred little Lupin. But he was, I mean, he was representing something that was believable. He was he was enacting in uh, like in. British uh, governmental procedure and trying to, uh, you know, he was he was stirring things up. That was that was his character. I dude, I, I loved it. I thought that he was he was great. I mean, we should do a whole podcast on it. I don't know. I know. Gosh, I could really start talking. As about far Wonder as I'm Woman. concerned, though, I this is as much as I want to talk about. It. <laughs> <laughs> He's just not a big fan of, no, of Wonder you. Woman. I was not a huge fan of it by any means, but uh, I definitely. I definitely enjoyed it for what it was. I'm so. a man that sticks to his uh, his principles. I'm a man that sticks to his opinions. And yeah. Well, hey, you didn't like it when you first saw it. Um, I can I can chip away at some of the cracks and flaws in the logic there, but I think you're gonna. It's not like you're gonna like it. No. <laughs> it's not like yeah. you're ever gonna like that movie. So I hate so it. <laughs> it is the worst movie ever made. <laughs> Yeah, I do really like Gal Gadot though. I think that she's, I think that she's great. So I just don't like how I, she says Steve. Steve. Well, she's Israeli. She has that little accent. Steve. <laughs> okay. Uh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Danny Agree to disagree on that one. Woman. Okay. I wonder when you came up with that. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Well, should I come up? Should I go ahead and do mine then? Yeah. All right. All right. Now that we've now that we had a solid yeah. disagreement here on the podcast, I'll uh, I'll now lighten that I'm the mad tone. Mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that we're really just oh gosh, I would like good. to argue about that one for a while. Um, but <laughs> I'm gonna lighten the mood a little bit here, and uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you heard or if you talked to mom or dad or anything, but my fish died this week. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Why is that funny? I know. Why are I'm you sorry. Laughing? That is the first. That is the worst first reaction I could have had. Uh, I'm. I'm so sorry, David. Yeah. No. It's. It's okay. Loss. His. Uh, he was alive for about two and a half years. He was a blue beta. Uh, his name was Octavian, and after a year of life, I changed his name to Augustus because that's what happened to Augustus Caesar. His first yeah, name was we Octavian. Had that, we and had that. We had that. He was little... given. 
the fish ceremony. Yeah, the yeah whole we, ceremony. We renamed him and everything. Um, but yeah, yeah. So he, I woke up and he was dead the other day. And this, this is my, my, um, my discussion. How do you wake up dead? I, I just, huh? Sorry. How do you go to bed alive and wake up dead? Dead, wake up alive. Scary movie oh, sorry. three. Sorry. Um, but I was, um, I, I wasn't that. I wasn't that beat up about it, and I and I really, really just didn't feel that happy with myself because I was like, "Gosh, this poor little guy, he's dead. He's been with me for two and a half years, and I kind of had like a real, real sad moment in the morning, and then I kind of just picked up and moved on with my life. Why? What is it about a fish dying that's just not that sad? I don't know. I mean, it's sad to me. I think you're <laughs> a psychopath. <laughs> I think you're going down so a really CEO, hard road maybe. right now and you're battling some demons and, you know, there you have it. No, it it is, uh, you know, with things like that, it, when like a dog passes away or like a cat or even like, you know, a horse or um, a piggy, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when animals pass away, it is sad and it is, it's hard to get through it i don't know there's something different about a fish just because it's just so tiny and i feel like you're kind of always on the edge which with a fish too because their lifespan is so short that like every morning you're kind of half expecting to walk out yeah i think that's the thing is that you just are so ready for them to be gone you know it's just like you are always prepared for that fish to be floating at the top of the bowl in the morning because it could (laughs) happen at any time there's no yeah it's like, and I noticed that he was moving kind of slow the night before. And I was like, what's going on with you, bro? Doing all right in there? It's like, no, and, I'm dying. <laughs> and then the next morning, yeah. he just, sure enough, he's just lying there. I was like, tight. So I did what any normal person would do. Threw some butter in the pan, tossed him in there. And had, a little <laughs> bread. <laughs> had him over some eggs, you know. <laughs> oh, you we might have to sick. cut that out. That was just, that's just. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> no, but I did put him in a little. <laughs> I did no, put him in a match. I did put him in a matchbox and uh, put some, propped him up on some toothpicks. Put him in the backyard and had a little funeral pyre and played the played the music from Return. Did Return you of the really Jedi burn your fish end. alive or not alive? No, sorry. I wish I would have though. Honestly, I didn't burn him alive. He was dead. <laughs> but are you sure? <laughs> right as you're burning him, it's like the scene from uh, Return of the King. Yeah, he's still alive. Um, I turned him. Yeah, you know, I took him out and sat there and pressed on his pressed on his chest Augustus. a couple times, breathing into him. Well, yeah, I don't know. Ba it, ba ba, ba staying alive, <laughs> staying alive. <laughs> the, the, With my fish, you have to go to the uh, the beat of "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Yeah, that's that's how you do CPR. Um, I also I also was thinking about how cool it would have been to uh, put him in like a shoebox and send him floating down the Yellowstone River and then just sit there with a bow and lighting arrows on fire trying to hit it from the trying to hit it from the shore. Gosh, it'd be so impossible. I know. I don't think I could. I don't think even the best, most experienced person could do it. That is such Maybe. a ridiculous notion to it be is. able to to hit that thing like that. But they did it. I mean, that's, I think that's an old Viking, uh, ceremonial ritual of somebody dying is that they send them down. What the if river you miss? They, is it just bad luck? Like that person spends eternity 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what the actual like how that how that works. If if they don't actually light them on fire, does that affect their afterlife in any way? I, I no wonder. Idea. That'd be a good yeah. thing to look up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. But anyway, yeah, my fish died, and it was a big bummer. And uh, I was kind of upset with myself that I wasn't more beat up about it. But what can you do? Well, there's scales to these things, you know. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, well, <laughs> who's in the mood for Bubba Gump? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fishy conversation. That's like literally, we'll yeah. call it the fin. Um, anywho, <laughs> so um, <laughs> could have done without the the death of the fish conversation for the bro down. But let's let's call her a day on that. I liked it. Um, you know, I I am I'm so sorry. Thank you, loss. thank you. Yeah, I, I was pretty bummed actually, but uh, I'm gonna have our niece Jerica go pick me out a new one, and we'll have her set it up, and maybe she can pick out some decorations or something for the new bowl. So it'll be fun. It'll you know, there's always a silver lining to everything. Yeah, he so. lived a good. He, well, there you go. Yeah, he lived a uh, a good life too. He had the little SpongeBob pineapple in his bowl. He had it was a good. It was a good fish. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? And I like talk to people. Um, they're like, what's going on? You know, I'm like, yeah, my fish died. Kind of sucked. And they're like, oh, what happened? Like, did you not change the water? Did you leave them in the dark too long? Or like, you know, I'm like, geez, what kind of person do you think I am? You yeah. guys didn't take care of my fish. <laughs> oh, what happened? You shake the bowl too much? <laughs> I'm like, no, I took very good care of him. I put the little salt in once a week, changed his water all the time. I'm like, geez, he just died. He was he two died. and a half years old. He died. Yeah. What can you do? You know, if I would have left him in that little thing at Walmart, he probably would have gone a lot sooner. Yeah. So. There's not. It's That's, not your fault. It's not, it's your, not fault. your fault. Don't. It's not your don't fault. Don't mess with me. <laughs> it's not, not your fault. you. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what we're referencing, you need to watch Goodwill Hunting because that's one of the best scenes in any movie ever. Oh, it is, so. yeah, bawling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Let's dig into The Shining, though, man. Let's do it. Let's get. Let's get into this movie. So, um, you go. You go ahead and do do your uh, your initial thoughts on The Shining here. You know, like I like I was kind of saying earlier, I hadn't seen this movie in so long. Um, probably about five years or something, six years, something like that. I remember I watched it when I was like twenty, and yeah, it just kind of blew me away. I I think it was within like the first five minutes of the movie that I sent a text to you saying we should do The Shining for this podcast. Because yeah, I was really surprised because I was working when you sent me that, and I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, cool." I mean, it's just it almost has like, it had like a Blade Runner esque start to it. The music is very obscure and strange, and uh, it's just kind of like a big, big movement of sounds out of nowhere. And I love movies like that. It's like uh, Dunkirk, um, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the original Blade Runner. Um, Inception, movies that just have big like booms and stuff like that, you know, that just kind of like whirl into the picture. And so it starts out, yeah, with a with a beautiful landscape and and scenery. Uh, it's in Colorado, so that's just beautiful as it is. I think they're driving in the Rockies, probably. I didn't research that, but somewhere. Yeah, up there. I'm sure it's somewhere up. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, from first glance, it's beautiful. Uh, Stanley Kubrick obviously has a big collection of movies that are highly renowned. Clockwork Orange, 2001 Space Odyssey, Full Metal Jacket, 
you know, great movies. And so I was looking forward to it. And man, I mean, it just kind of blew me away. The entire movie, every step, every beat of this film is so well done, so obscure. And uh, after reading about it now and doing some research and then looking back at watching it and looking back at these scenes, it just blows your mind. You know, what this movie actually is. Like, it's not, it's not just a story about a guy that murders his wife and son or is trying to murder his wife and son. Um, it's just, like, so much more than that. So, yeah, and Jack Nicholson, dude. Jack Nicholson. I mean, outrageous is acting in this. So, yeah, it blew me away. I loved it. I really loved watching this movie again. Yeah, I have the direct opposite. I hated it. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is not going to be a good podcast today. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because The the Shining is a movie that is it is so culturally relevant. Everybody is, at least if you haven't seen The Shining, you know what The Shining is. And it's just kind of this uh, background scary movie from the 80s that is just kind of the quintessential, uh, just iconic, iconic iconic scary movie um and man i i don't think i've ever actually sat down and watched this entire movie from start to finish i uh i have probably seen bits and pieces of it on tv and watched obviously the the ending and so i kind of knew what happens and i knew the basic premise of it but i really don't think i had sat down and ever watched this full movie and there was there is so much more to this than I knew or I remembered, um, and it, it was very much like I was watching this movie for the first time because just putting together all the putting together all the pieces, um, and I was just in awe. I was blown away. It is such a better movie than I really understood or realized, um, and yeah, it was a very very good experience, and it was very very scary. I, I mean, you're just sitting there it like. Is. Man, and it's nothing really that. I mean, obviously, it's horrible what happens, but aside from maybe one death, there's not really anything too crazy that happens to anybody. Yeah, we'll leave it. I mean, this is honestly a movie from 1980. So if you haven't seen The Shining, uh, just go watch it. Don't buy it, maybe don't listen any further, and and watch it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, because um, we're just going to talk full spoilers probably from here Getting on Getting into some because, spoiled undies here. Yeah, because everybody's, everybody's at least knows what happens by the end of it. Yeah. Um, but so let's let's start off with just maybe a little bit of a discussion on Stanley Kubrick. Um, yeah. I think that Stanley Kubrick is one of those iconic directors uh, that – Anybody that's interested in film, you kind of just have to go through all of his work, whether it's something that you're going to like or not. I mean, that kind of remains to be seen um, because it is definitely an old style of filmmaking. His his movies are very slow. uh, They're old. And there's definitely a progression of storytelling that's like it picks up throughout throughout the movie yeah uh, and they're very much like focused on the characters as well but i mean 2001 a space odyssey there's no doubt that that movie was just i mean that's heavily influential in just about any sci-fi flick out there clockwork orange is just way too weird for me um yeah I've that movie's frightening it. i sat through it once or twice 
And it's it's not really my particular cup of tea, um, but I mean I see the value in it. Barry Lyndon also same kind of thing. Um, I see the value in I it. I understand see, what the yeah I, I didn't see that. Yeah, Barry Lyndon is Barry Lyndon's. Um, it's worth a watch at some point, but it's not anything that it's not the type of movie that I can sit down and watch all the time. I honestly don't really plan on watching it again. Um, well, I've never been somebody that like when people are like, "Oh, are you a big Kubrick fan?" I. I think I I, res- I respect his work. I respect who he is. I, I don't think I can say that I'm like a huge Stanley Kubrick fan, but I think he's great. You know, there's certain elements to his films. You know, sometimes, though, in uh, movies when things kind of just frighten you so much that they, like, leave a mark on you, mm-hmm. um, or just in life when you see certain things, uh, the scene in A Clockwork Orange where they're holding his eyes open with like these little oh yeah this little machine yeah. and he's getting brainwashed or whatever that for some reason I've had like I've had really bad nightmares about that scene in general and like from then on after I watch that I always have the, I kind of have this fear of like having my eyes held open <laughs> every time yeah, I go to yeah. the eye doctor I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, for sure, man, for sure. That's yeah. Uh, Clockwork Orange has a lot of those moments. The singing in the rain scene is definitely one that you can yeah. never really unwatch it. It's very, very horribly frightening. Yeah. Um. But another one that another one that I like to bring up is uh, Full Metal Jacket. Full oh, Metal gosh. Jacket is one of those. I I think rifle. that Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket is probably my favorite out of Kubrick's work. Um, not necessarily because I think it's his best one but i i really you know I'm, I'm a history teacher and stuff so i just really enjoy that stuff but i really i really like the presentation of the way that they try to um you know shed the humanity of all these all, all these kids and pretty much just break them down until they you know this is my rifle there are many like it but this one is mine yeah. i am nothing without my rifle my rough rifle is nothing without me just that that whole that whole bit is just it's it's beautiful in the way the first the first half of that movie is one of my favorite movies ever. The second half, I'm not like as crazy about. I've honestly seen the first half of Full Metal Jacket way more times than I've seen the second half. Um, I'd probably but, agree because I think I watched the first half with you a couple times, <laughs> and then I yeah, and then it's I like it just peters out or something. Like you, you stop caring about the movie once it, does, it goes once yeah. they actually get to Vietnam. But I mean, either way, it's really good. Um, and then Eyes Wide Shut is another one that he did. Does he have any anything else? That's worth mentioning, other than uh, other than not those? really, honestly. Uh, Spartacus. Um, which oh, that's right. He did Spartacus. Yeah, Spartacus. I totally, I totally forgot that he did Spartacus. Uh, yeah. That's about it. Um, the killing, which uh, 1956. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's getting that's getting before our time, and even something like Spartacus. <laughs> and I as don't. everybody knows, we hate older films. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that we hate no, older we films. Don't. It's just I don't necessarily have the patience to sit through. Yeah, you know, I it's think- not like I just like go home at night and like, oh gosh, I really want to put in Spartacus tonight because it's just yeah. it's a little before my time, and I've I've seen it once, and I really I thought it was a great movie, but I don't feel like sitting there and watching it every day. But a movie like a movie like The Shining, which came out in 1980, uh, is is really good, and I actually could yeah, sit there and watch this movie. It's relevant as well. You it's know? culturally uh, relevant for our time it still has a lot of significance for you know what's even happening today um yeah anyway but somebody but somebody that's 15 years old right now maybe they won't maybe not love the shining as much you know because we're kind of we're in that window they want to see laser beams uh, yeah yeah or whatever or what have you yeah boom boxes and 
CD you know, technology. As technology progresses, um, it, some movies get left behind just because, yeah, they were a framework for how to do things, but then they are less impressive as time goes on. Yeah. You know, because you just simply, the, the technology, technology is just so far behind that it's much. hard. It's hard to watch, you know. It's I actually like, was talking to a, a friend of mine that she's a new parent. Um, her her daughter's like 15 months old or something like that. And she can tell when a movie is older. So if you put on Frozen, she'll go nuts and loves it. But if you put on, um, you know, The Lion King, she's not as into it because wow. she just, she, she's only been, only been alive for 15 months and the you know like a movie like frozen which the the cgi is just so incredible in it it just looks way better and so that's what she has become accustomed to and it's like yeah that looks that's what i want to see that's that's what i like something like aladdin or the lion king just isn't necessarily as entertaining to her anymore that's but she's also very young so it's just you know it's just the pictures she's not actually following any (laughs) she's not following any of the storyline she's just literally looking at movement and visuals going she can tell which is you know she can tell you know, which has the better visual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm sure later on in life that movies like well, it's, Aladdin it's and Lion King, I think those are timeless. I, yeah. I mean, I'll show my kids that for all time. Um, but anyway, so Barry, or excuse me, Stanley Kubrick is, I mean, there's no doubt he's one of the best directors of all yeah. time. And he has, he is very much uh, set a staple for multiple genres, uh, definitely horror, uh, historical, and sci-fi movies. I mean, I think that he did wonders for all three of those genres. Um, but let's move on. So The the Shining was originally a book by Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Shining, right? That's the, yeah. the title of the book. I I've never so. read it or anything. I actually, I, um, oh, probably, I can probably check, maybe. Uh, Stephen King novel. Yeah. The Shining. Yeah. Um, did you, did you read into that though? Uh, in yeah, how, any of the research seeing how he that wrote Stephen King screenplay? just hated it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, uh, Stephen King turned in a screenplay to, uh, to, uh, Stanley Kubrick and Kubrick didn't even read it. He oh, just, no way. He just said no. He was just like, I didn't see that. He didn't even bother to read it. Um, but he did contact Stephen King for a few pointers and stuff. But yeah, and then Stephen King just didn't like it and said Jack Nicholson was just a terrible cast. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Come on. Really? It's so weird. But, you know, for those of us that haven't read the book, we don't know. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> this movie's fantastic. So I, I don't know the difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like uh, J.R.R. Tolkien with, you know, Lord of the Rings. I'm sure he would have had. Pre- was he. Had he passed away? Yeah, yeah, long yeah. He ago. was he was dead long, long before um, those movies were made. But uh, the Tolkien family, uh, see, that's were, it. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. They were adamant in saying that they didn't they didn't like um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. They really thought that it uh, departed from the original, uh, the original text and the original literature. And that is all that, so all that stuff. crazy. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. a, that's very similar to this. It's like, and yeah, you can't, just, you can't it, really knock Stephen King for not liking it because like he's the one who wrote it. I mean, he, he has an image of a guy in his head and it's not Jack Nicholson. (laughs) So, and somebody, yeah. And somebody, you know, 
somebody being Stanley Kubrick had a different vision when he read that. And he was like, this is awesome. I can turn this into a movie, but it's going to be a different movie. It's going to be, it's going to be much different than the original, than the original book. And you know what? That, that happens sometimes for some of us. It sucks when we love some, if, when we love uh, a book or a story and it gets changed a little bit. I know that I struggled with Harry Potter for a long time. I mean, after after they turned the movies over from Christopher Columbus mm-hmm. and Alfonso Cuarón got a hold of it, and then it was who was it Danny Boyle or something like that, or uh, <laughs> David Yates. Yeah, Danny Boyle. He really popped into the <laughs> <laughs> directing. Tra- well, that's the guy that did uh, Train Spotting. But did he do yeah. that? Who did the fourth Harry Potter? I think it was Danny Boyle. It could have been. But yeah. either way, then it got to David Yates, and David Yates. I thought that he had a pretty good medium, but it still was. It was a little bit different. Yeah. Than the uh, than uh, what what's, I what what's I his had name? Who did the third one? Alfonso what? Cor- Alfonso Cuarón. Cuarón. Because Cuaron. he's been. Uh, I've actually heard several people that say the third one is their favorite movie. Um, yeah, if you haven't read the books, that's like everybody's favorite. Yeah, it definitely but has a. For me, I when I you know that is so different than what I pictured. They just changed so much because the first and second were spot on, spot on of yeah. what I imagined. Exactly, absolutely spot on of what I imagined. And the third one's like, oh, we're gonna change them out of their costumes, and then we're gonna have. Like, I know this, there's no. Robes it felt anymore. like Halloween Town with the kids, like toes in trouble. Yeah. It just felt like. Um, I don't know. It it felt like TV movie ish in a lot of ways. Just yeah, very, I can see that. Very cheesy Halloweeny hocus pocus type feel to this Harry Potter movie. But regardless, whatever. Gabagook. Yeah. But back to uh, back to The Shining. So Stephen King. It's funny that he hated it, but sorry, bud. We loved it. So, sorry, buddy. Um, we love it. Oh, you know what? That's actually one more thing about Stanley Kubrick that I, I almost forgot to mention. Um, Barry Lyndon, while. A lot of people say it's a really good movie. It didn't make very much money, and it wasn't that like commercially successful. And so uh, Stanley Kubrick had always had in his mind that he wanted to do a movie about Napoleon, and he was going to try to do that right after Barry Lyndon. But Barry Lyndon was just so unsuccessful that he couldn't do it. Like he just didn't have the backing for it, and he had envisioned having uh, Jack Nicholson play napoleon oh, which i which is a little man. weird to me yeah i don't i mean well, i don't, I don't know. know could have been hey, hey maybe it could have been awesome maybe it could have been horrible but either way i mean that i think that that would be an amazing got idea bigger to do fish a, to fry <laughs> do a big movie on uh napoleon i mean that'd be that'd be sick but anyway yeah so when so he couldn't do napoleon and he decided okay and somebody had sent him this stephen king novel and uh he he decided to do this and he also had this uh vision in his mind of um he had seen the success that a lot of people had had such as like alfred hitchcock with horror movies and you know other people at the at the time this is made in what 1980 um and so he thought to himself i can make a horror movie that will be a horror staple and he was always wanting to push the boundaries and make a movie that really progressed film in certain ways. And so that's what he set out to do with The Shining, and he very much did. He very much did. Yeah, he really did. So anyway, yeah, it's just kind of funny how it all how it all came to be. It wasn't exactly what he wanted to do, but then it ended up being probably – I would imagine this is his most known film or most notable, notable film. I mean, I'm sure there's I mean, people that would uh, – Argue that 2001 yeah. is it, but um, I think I, that this one is – 
this one is the most like culturally loved. Mm-hmm. I think that there's you know 2001 changed a lot of a lot of things for sci- science fiction, but uh, this one is definitely the here, probably the, the most here's popular. Johnny scene is. I mean, if you say here's Johnny, everybody knows what that's from. Yeah, everybody you know? knows what you're talking about. It's from the Johnny Carson show. Yeah. <sighs> well. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I was born uh, in '91. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew it? You blew it. We'll get to it, buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so let's move on to uh, let's let's just dig into let's talk about at least Jack Nicholson for just a minute because yeah. he's yeah. an interesting interesting guy. He uh, he was in Easy Rider, and I think that that was kind of his breakout role. And then he was actually he won Best Actor for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Which have you seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, but it's kind of the same as The Shining. Probably not for I watched it right around that same period of time because I think yeah. I was kind of obsessed with Jack Nicholson. So probably like six years ago, um, mm-hmm. something I really don't remember. I don't remember it that well. I remember I enjoyed it. I thought his performance was good. Uh, I don't think yeah, I was yeah. stoked about it. Like I wasn't too crazy over the top about it, but. This was actually um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Is uh, it was it was a book as well, and uh, I read the book and then watched the movie. And it's it's kind of nice because I took a class that was uh, literary verse film, mm. um, literature verse film, and uh, that's why I read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and uh, a couple other books, and then watched the movies afterward. Um, but I'm grateful that I was that I did that because I definitely have a better understanding of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. And uh, he did he did a fantastic job of bringing yeah. Hamish to life. I mean, he's a really he did a really good job in that movie, and he definitely deserved the uh, best actor nom there. And I think that was in '75, I want to say. But so, uh, point being that Jack Nicholson, it's not like this movie propelled him to stardom any further than he already was. He was he was one of the better actors of of the current day. And uh, Kubrick, uh, I think that he didn't necessarily want a star. Um, but then he got to know Jack Nicholson and considered him for, uh, Napoleon. And when it came to this movie, it was like, well, you're, you're great. We'll just, we'll put you in it. So yeah. What you get with Jack, with Jack Nicholson is just so much talent, you know? I mean, yeah, he's fantastic. He's Mm -hmm. so good. He's so good. Um, what'd you think of Shelley Duvall? Uh, you know, one thing that I noticed right when we started watching this movie is that, uh, it's not, it's not a 2017 movie. You know, the characters in this, in this film don't have pearly white teeth and, uh, you know, everybody's not gorgeous. Um, it's, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to like rip on it at all. I just think that's, it's awesome. It's very real world-ish. Um, and she is so strange in this movie. She is so quiet and weird and kind of just goes along with everything that, Jack says forever until she kind of, you know, realizes what's happening. Uh, I thought her cast was perfect as well. Her and Danny, which we'll get to, but, Mm -hmm. um, there's something, something about her character. And I know that there's, there's a lot of people that would say that she, she did not do the best job. Um, I think that there may have been people that would have been better, but uh, I did really enjoy. I did really enjoy the performance that she puts forth, and this is for a number of reasons. Um, I think that you bring up a good point. Uh, not stereotypical Hollywood, uh, and this is th- the thing about uh, Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, and Danny Lloyd. This this family is that if you look at them, they could be any family. They are just 
they they just are average USA. Yep. You know, it's like they could be they could be any family living in the United States, um, and it's it's really good because you just look. You know, the movie starts off and it's like, okay, here we go. We just got three pretty average people going yeah, on here. You know, yeah, it's not like Bradley Cooper and Liv Tyler have you know the starring role and whatever. You know. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and, but another thing is, so Shelly Duvall, uh, her character, okay, well, Shelly Duvall is a person. So, uh, Stanley Kubrick was really, really hard on her throughout filming. Did you read anything about all this? No, no. Dude, he was so mean to her and he even went as far to tell the rest of the crew don't, uh, don't sympathize with Shelly. Don't give her any sympathy and don't help her out because she's she's in this on her own. And he would make her do takes. And he did the same thing with Jack Nicholson. Uh, not to the extent he did with, with her. He was very supportive of Jack Nicholson and his endeavors. But he would make her do a ton of different takes just again and again and again. And he would like insult and berate her while she was doing it. Um, there's this one, I watched this one clip of uh, her when I think that she was, she's trying to get open the door when the snow's covering it yeah. and trying to get out and it shows Stanley Kubrick walk up and he's like, Shelly, you just gotta, you just gotta hit this. Like we're all freezing out here. Let's go. Come on. You gotta move. And like, he's just like, Oh dude, he's so like mean and like berating her. And you can, and, and so throughout the entire process of filming, she was broke. She broke, she was breaking down because she had no support from anybody and Kubrick is always just like being awful to her. And so you get this ending up like desperate deranged character that is just like losing her freaking mind. And it's very much, it very much makes sense because she as an actress and as a person was like breaking down in the process of filming this because it was the toughest role she ever did. And she's stated that many times that it was the most difficult role and most difficult endeavor that she's ever had to do in her entire life because Kubrick was so freaking hard on her. That like, is insane. Oh, I know. I isn't love that stories crazy? like that, you know, but the, and that, cause when I was watching it, I was like, mm, you know, whatever. But then you learn that and you you have so much more. And I rewatched a couple of scenes and you just have so much more respect for her character yeah. because you're like, man, and that's what's happening to her character in the movie or, you know, in the film, she has mm-hmm. no help. You know, he's gone. He's, he does not answer. It's just, it's all on her. Everything. Yeah. Well, remind, remind me to bring up another point about uh, her character, because I, I, I do have another point to make about the relationship okay. between those two. Um, but yeah, so pretty interesting though, right? Shelly yeah, Duvall, definitely. Uh, very, yeah, very interesting story with uh, her, her casting because she wasn't the number one choice, but Kubrick wanted her. And then he just was just a total jerk to her she's like oh my um, gosh i got picked for this role <laughs> thank you mr Kubrick. Yeah. oh my gosh i hate my life um, um it's funny how Dan- jack nicholson is jack torrance in the movie and danny lloyd is danny in the movie yeah and oh, that was really helpful with the child actor uh, oh, with danny sure. lloyd because he was just playing himself he was able to maintain it's his easy. name yeah and so for a child i mean that's huge for a child actor yeah because they they respond to their own name, you know. Yeah. Because um, how old was he in the making of this? Like eight. I don't or know. Something? Yeah, pretty young, but he, gosh. he was pretty young. Uh, well, do you want to move? Can we move on to Danny? Danny Lloyd. No, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We've been because talking about the others. For this a long is time. his only his only role. He did some sort of television series a couple of years later, but he didn't act after this. And man, the performance that he puts forth in this—just the little kid—he's so good. His acting is terrific. 
Like from his first scene on, I think it's near the first scene of the movie when he's sitting there and he kind of talks about Tony a little bit. And, uh, he's just so well-spoken. That's the kind of the, the weird thing about his character and this little kid. You just do not see child actors besides, I guess nowadays and stranger things and stuff, but you really, you rarely see child actors that are so, I mean, he's a young kid and he is so versed in all the, you know, in the entire script, he knows what he's saying. He's confident and he puts forth a, an amazing performance. I just love watching that little kid. Do you know, actually, um, another funny story about Danny Lloyd in this film is he didn't know it was a, it was a horror movie. Yeah, he thought he, it was a drama. Uh, is that? He thought it was a drama and he didn't actually see the end or see the end product for multiple years later. And then he found out that it was a horror movie. That is, that would be so strange to grow up your entire life. Just being like, oh yeah, I was in this movie, blah, blah, blah. And people have a different image or picture of the movie mm-hmm. that you were in. Then you watch it when you're a teenager and you kind of can understand what the movie is about and mm-hmm. realize mm-hmm. what you took part in. Well, wow. yeah. Um, so real quick, just to say uh, the budget for this movie was 19 million, um, which that's, you know, 1980. Yeah. And I think it ended up grossing about 40 million. So it doubled, yeah. uh, but critical reception wasn't stellar initially. Uh, but throughout time, it definitely gained a lot more respect. I mean, critical reception was good. I just don't think the overall perception of this movie was was stellar when it came out because a lot of people had read the Stephen King novel. Um, but let's move on to the story. We've been we've been talking for a bit. Yeah. Um. So, what do you, what do you think about the initial point in this movie when Jack Nicholson is uh, in talks to go? Uh, to go watch over the Overlook Hotel and all that, all that good stuff. Well, it goes to the meeting of him and the um, hotel manager, and they reference uh, Charles Derby and the old caretaker, and they kind of, you know, mention the entire bloodbath that took place. Is it is it Derby or is it Darby? Charles Darby, maybe. Yeah, Darby. I think. Derby. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it's funny, actually, that name changes in the movie. Um, it's not Charles anymore. Dang it, I didn't write it down. That stinks. But, uh, yeah, his name changes. Like, when, the, when Jack Nicholson or Jack Torrance is talking to Charles, or, you mm-hmm. know, Mr. Derby, Darby, in the bathroom, his name, he doesn't say Charles. He says a different first mm-hmm. name, which is, yeah. sorry, that's completely off topic. But, yeah, uh, yeah, he's going to watch over this thing. I mean, he's a writer, so... It would make sense, you know, that would be, you would take a job like that. Nice, I get to be holed up in this huge hotel for six months, get some writing done. I, I, you know, I, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Um, But as soon as they say that (laughs) a husband and wife and their two daughters moved there and did it and he went crazy and killed his whole family, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. This guy already looks crazy. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and that's that was my biggest criticism with the was with the beginning of this movie is Jack Nicholson's character, uh, Jack Torrance. He he never seems normal to no. me. There is nothing about his his character that initially says he's an average guy, like he's a normal person, and he already does have. Uh, problems with his family going on. He was, you know, he's uh, a recovering alcoholic. And at one point he apparently grabbed his son way too hard and hurt him. Um, Seems like he has a weird relationship with his wife. Uh, So 
that that was my biggest thing was at the at the beginning of this movie I'm like well this guy's this guy's psycho already like he's yeah. there's something really weird about him but I mean and it and it makes it makes it great when when it gets gets later on um but I, I don't know if that's a thing within the original Stephen King novel if if the guy was supposed to be more normal because Jack Nicholson the way he plays it from the get go he just seems just cuckoo cuckoo yeah he did. you know like yeah. he's he seems like one really did fly over the cuckoo's nest there. Yeah, yeah um, he's he's gone from the beginning to yeah. me. Um, but yeah, that's that's not to any detriment. I mean, it's just the first part of the movie. You're like, you're a weird dude. And there and, there uh, are scenes that he seems a little bit a little more normal, um, but not many. And I think yeah. it kind of plays on the whole idea of there's certain scenes in the movie that are all in his head and stuff like that. I didn't watch it like that. I found out this after I watched it, but I'd love to go back and watch it now and kind of look at the scenes and be like, okay, I don't think this one's happening in the real world. You know? like Yeah. Like, but yeah. we can talk more about that in a little bit. But uh, Well, so, gosh, there's, there's a lot of avenues that I want to go down. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the... Oh, man, I'm stalling out. Sorry. Let's do what? Uh, let's just go do you want to jump into favorite character, favorite scene, favorite line? I, I said, or do you think I, that we just, could wait? I think we could just get it out of the way if you want. Yeah, because I think that that's if we get through that, then we can talk about more stuff uh-huh. um, as, it, as it progresses. So I'm going to just start off and say that my favorite character was Tony. <laughs> is that what you – no, so my favorite character is Danny. Um, but I had the same I thought joke that, written down. I was going to do you the really? same exact thing. I was going to go, my favorite character is Tony. (laughs) (laughs) But so this kid, I know this kid is just, he's so good. And he just, he has just the strangest situation occurring in his life. And, um, it's the development of this idea of ESP, which would be what? Extrasensory perception. Is that what it is? Basically a sixth sense where you shines. You can communicate with, uh, you can communicate with the dead or with spirits or something, something like that. Um, and I thought that I thought that Danny's character was so good, and he goes throughout the entire movie, and he's really he's really the the hero of the mm-hmm. film. You know, he's able to he's able to save his mother in the end by luring his father into the maze and gets him stuck in there, and then he's able to worm himself back out. Um, I I just really appreciated. I really I really enjoyed. Danny as a character, so I thought that he was. Thanks, I Dave. thought that he was fantastic. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed Danny. I'm like, well, thanks. I was just complimented like, the entire podcast. I don't know. He was just being so I nice. I like, did not you. get that when you said that. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I. But I agree, and uh, yeah, the whole Tony thing is incredible. He does such a great job of having split personalities that kind of mirror each other. And, uh, yeah, he's a very smart little kid, and he is so traumatized by everything that happens in this movie, including Halloran, the, uh, the head chef. Um, mm-hmm. That whole mm-hmm. scene, which I kind of want to talk about that whole scene here in a little bit, but uh, he... Okay, so when you go back and watch this film, I didn't remember any of that. So when Halloran no, looks at this either. kid and then he, they start talking about, oh, you can shine and you can, you know, talk to the dead or you can have full conversations without moving, you know, moving your mouth just in your head. 
I was like, what? You know, it kind of just blew my mind. I was like, what? I, did, I didn't realize that this movie took this route. And so, yeah, the kid, he just goes through so much and sees such terrible things, including those little twins that are just awful. But yeah, and he's a very smart, you know, very smart little kid. But yeah, he's my favorite character as well. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think just the way that the the little kid is written in this movie, um, he's by himself the entire time. I mean, his mom is away and focused more on Jack because her husband's going crazy. And mm-hmm. uh, so this kid has to just be by himself every single day. And it just kind and of, he has an entire freaking hotel exactly. to explore. And so he's I mean, this growing, place is huge. Yeah, he's growing up and he's by himself and he has to just deal with all this stuff on his own. And he doesn't talk yeah. to anybody about it. He's just seeing mm-hmm. all of this. Just completely mm-hmm. traumatized. I mean, it's in, yeah, it's very intense. One thing that I did want to point out is how amazing the scenes when he's running around on his uh, his big rig or whatever you call yeah, those yeah. little things, uh, the three-wheeler. When he's running around, and it shows the scope of the hotel. It shows how big it is because it just continuously follows him all the way through, and he's going through hall after yeah. hall and through the through the lobby and all that stuff. And I love the I love the way that <laughs> you could hear the you could hear the wheels hitting the pavement. Or hitting the surface, and then you would hit over, go over like a carpet or a rug, and it would stop. Smooth. And then you would hear yeah, it like hit again. Yeah. I, I just for some reason that was such an eerie, eerie scene. Uh, and every time they did it, it was just it was so good. And I loved, I, I just loved, I loved every time he was running around on that thing. It just it was a good it was a good moment for the movie. Um, but what do you think about Tony? Like. So at the beginning, he's brushing brushing his teeth, and he's talking to some little kid, sort of talking to somebody in his mouth, in the mirror, and then he freaks out and has an episode and has to call a psychiatrist or whatever uh, to discuss this with him. But I mean, even just the notion of this kid having somebody that's hiding in his mouth, he's like the little man that's in my mouth talking to him. I, I mean, that is that is so weird. Who is Tony I, I, in your mouth? Yeah. Did you have an imaginary friend as a kid? I don't think so. Actually. I had I had I had an imaginary friend friend named Shiloh. We play checkers today, checkers every day. <laughs> God bless his soul. He'd always let me win. No, uh, that's a quote from Wedding Crashers. Yeah, Wedding Crashers. But uh, I never I never had an imaginary either. friend. Um, I'd like to know how many people actually have had imaginary. I feel like that's something I've, that's discussed a lot. Like a lot of people have, you know, said that they they have imaginary friends when they were younger or they used to <laughs> play with them. But you're like, really? Did you though? Like did was that something that is that something that happens? <laughs> is that is that supposed to happen? In what way is it imaginary? Like are you seeing this person or are you yeah. just pretending that I don't know. It's a strange strange thing. But uh either way, he thinks that he's got somebody in his mouth and uh it's funny, but then you realize that uh it actually is the ESP or the shining mm-hmm. that is talking to him while he sleeps and while he's while he's awake and he's gaining a better understanding of the things that are going around and um then it also brings in this fundamental question of uh is this real um is this thing that he's experiencing real or is this all a product of his mind and it also goes for Jack Nicholson too. Mm-hmm. Is this real or is this just going on in his mind? Um and well, I, yeah, I, just, I think the the idea of the shining, because maybe 
you know, Jack sees his son talking to Tony and he has an idea for the novel that he's writing that there is this thing called the shine, um, you know, and Halloran, the head chef has it. And so that whole scene that they're talking about that kind of just plays out and, but, but it's really all just in Jack's head. And like, that wasn't really something that actually happened, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, mm-hmm. it, it kind of confuses you. I mean, just, it just really, it really throws you off. Like, cause I kind of just, I just read all this stuff and did all this research. And so now I'm going back on the movie and thinking about it. And it's just kind of splits you apart. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What do you mean though? Like a lot of this is just going on in Jack's head while he's writing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't, I, I didn't get that. Well, there's a, so there's a scene I'll, I'll kind of split off here for a second. There's a scene that, um, there's a YouTube video <laughs> that it shows the scene with Halloran and when he's giving them the tour, uh, Danny and Wendy giving them the full tour of the kitchen and everything like they enter the freezer and he pulls the door latch and the latch is on the left side and he opens it and it opens like it swings to the right. And then when it goes inside the freezer, when the shot goes inside the freezer, the door opens the other way. And so it's completely opening the other way. So it's said that in that scene, that's them stepping into Jack's like subconscious. And now this is kind of like, you know, all made up. And then when they exit the freezer, the entire kitchen is different. Like the shot is completely different. And the backing that was behind them when they entered is completely gone and it's completely changed. And then they walk through, do a little tour, and then they go into the pantry. And that's when he like talks to Danny in his head. And then when they exit the pantry, everything's back to normal. And Jack's walking up with the owner of the hotel. And so that's like them stepping back into the real world. And so, yeah, interesting. It, it's very interesting. And there's a lot of research to be done about this movie online because it's just really strange. I mean, maybe it's just an error, but I don't think it was. There's also like a lot of like little references, like the Jamestown massacre. Um, there's like Kool-Aid references. And when certain mm. people are talking, the Kool-Aid's behind them. And then when other people are talking, it's not behind them. It's very eerie and weird. Does that yeah, kind of make sense, though? I, did, I, did I explain you know, that? Yeah, that, yeah that, that makes sense. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see any of that. So, I mean, I, I, mean, I, didn't, you don't I didn't know it. about any of that, and I didn't catch it. So, um, I assumed, here's, here's my thing with it, is that I assumed that a lot of, uh, that they're really playing on the idea of The Shining or the ESP, and I heard that, like, that is a generational thing. And so both, um, both, Danny and then Jack being Jack Nicholson, those characters have it. And so when they go to this hotel, which is located on an Indian burial ground, so there's a lot of spirits and like spooky stuff that happens there, that they're the only two people that are really afflicted um, by these spirits and talking to other people and kind of going insane. And it becomes this father versus son uh, duel of who's gonna who's gonna be able to to win this because obviously Danny loves his mother and the mother is completely just unaware. Of she's kind of just void. She's just yeah. A she's not seeing. She's not seeing any of this weird stuff that they're seeing. Yeah, and so she's just she's just a victim mm-hmm. of this. And so at the end of the day, Danny ends up being able to outlast 
his father because his father was older and goes and he's much crazier from it. Uh, blah blah. But um, that is yeah, that's a very interesting theory as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's what I think is the fundamental. Uh, the the point of the movie yeah. is that these two guys are both afflicted by um, this hotel and the spirits within and well, whatever. It's very, yeah, it's on top of an Indian burial ground, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's funny all those little, <laughs> all of those conspiracy theories about this movie. Like, it's about the Apollo moon landing, um, oh, or yeah. it's about like you know Native American massacre. And yeah, there's there's a lot that was like uh, a lot of stuff that was supposedly looking into Native American history. Yeah. And, and, and I, yeah, I can see that. all the subtle little references. I don't think this movie was written <laughs> specifically mm-hmm. about that. Definitely not mm-hmm. about the moon landing. Not mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people really that hops on board of that stuff. No. Yeah, but I mean, it's just it's just interesting, and it kind of ends up being a situation where you you really try to figure out what you believe about this movie because also um, maybe these guys are both just going crazy, or are these do these uh, spirits or do these ghosts have any actual influence on the real world, um, or are they only communicating through the living, and the only ones that can really do anything are the living people? And that was a big one for me is that I was like, okay, they're communicating with the dead and this hotel is having an effect on them Mm -hmm. but the hotel can't actually do anything to to the living people but then danny gets gets strangled or whatever strangled and he has bruises and so i was like okay that that had to have been something but it could have also been him self-inflicting that you know yeah somebody could have um somebody could have made him think that it was he, it was necessary for him to choke himself. You know, he was convincing himself while seeing somebody trying to choke him. Yeah, that he was putting he did his it hand himself. on his neck. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like Fight Club when he beats the crap out of himself yeah. because he thought that Tyler Durden was doing it was to him, so he just beats yeah. the crap out of himself. Um, well, that actually... Then, that, oh, you go ahead. Sorry. Well, but so then Jack Nicholson is locked in that freezer and... There's no way that he can get out, and then Mr. Darby or yeah, whatever the old caretakers the opens the fridge, and so that's the point where the dead actually do have like a physical impact in interference with the real world, and so that's that's when like the whole thing just like it blew up for me. I was like, well, okay, I have no idea. Then I don't really understand. You know, I know it's so confusing. I, I thought I understood this movie, but I now, but that kind of see just that's threw, the point. You understand it, it up a wrench until in that the point to where. All of a sudden, <laughs> through a wrench in the ointment, um, you understand it I love saying up that. until that point because all of a sudden a ghost actually interferes with what's going on in the real world. Um, with the physical world. Yeah. And rather so, than like communicating through, through the mind. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe Danny did strangle himself. Maybe he didn't. I'll tell you what, though. That naked granny is... Just frightening and awful. Oh yeah, that scene was oh, that was boy. that was nuts. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say before uh, the strangling uh, when you were talking about the strangling, that actually leads me up to my favorite scene. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, bust into it. Sure. So uh, my favorite scene is the bar scene when he's talking to Lloyd. So when he goes, oh, good one, and sits at the bar, and uh, oh man, Jack Nicholson's acting in this entire thing is just incredible. Uh, I want to see if I have, um, 
I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd, because I just so happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet, and I was afraid they were going to be there until next April. He says that, and then, you know, yeah. slip me a bottle of bourbon, a cool glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy. And that whole, and then all of a sudden, he's talking to the mirror. He's basically looking directly into the camera, and then it flips sides, and there's just a bartender there. And mm-hmm. uh, Lloyd. The... The entire conversation, most of my favorite lines from this movie take place in that scene. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden, which kind of plays on the Native American thing. Um, Absolutely. You know, uh, and he, but then he's referencing, you know, he says, I didn't lay a hand on that kid. And then he starts kind of, you start seeing the um, anger and fire that he has about his wife and how mad he is at her. Um, Mm -hmm. He's just like, you know, that, you know whatever i can't really say any of that any of it but um you know i can't believe she's blaming me for this a momentary loss of muscular coordination a few extra foot pounds of energy per second per second lloyd <laughs> you know and uh, <laughs> yeah yeah he's so like so worked up about it yeah and it's just yeah th- that entire scene to me his acting um, and, and I'm talking about the very first bar scene, not the second one where he goes back and talks to Darby or There's whatever. like a ton of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, that first discussion. And then she comes in and she's terrified and kind of leads out of that. But, um, there's just, yeah, there's a lot of really good, really good, uh, lines in that. Oh, what else does he say? He's like, I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were the best of them. Best bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Portland, Oregon, for that matter. <laughs> says that. Is that what he says? Portland, yeah. Maine. Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, that's, that's my favorite. Uh, my favorite. Because it, it has a lot. Uh, to me, it has a lot of references to just, I don't know. It, it, it has a, there's a lot buried in that scene in the dialogue that you can kind of dig out. And uh, it does have a lot of uh, emotional notes to it and emotional tones. Um, just talking about his family and how he hurt his kid and he didn't mean to, uh, you know, just a, a, a momentary loss of muscular coordination, you know. He came home, pulled his kid's arm, yanked it out of its socket. He didn't mean to. Um, mm-hmm. And he's been blamed for this ever since. And you can kind of just see how he just resents his wife for this so much. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's my that's my favorite scene. I loved it. No, that's yeah. I love. I love that. That's a great. That's a great scene, and it also represents that um, the kind of uh, just how how far he is slipping. Yeah. You know, because that's the first time when you're like, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's losing it. This yep. is getting bad. Um, I really. I'll just go ahead with my favorite. My favorite. Um, just to do a runner up, we already talked about it, uh, but I I was really debating between two scenes um and the conversation between danny and uh halloran um that was the shining the whole that discussion that was that was one of my favorites um it's probably number two but i i definitely sat there and debated between mine and that one for a while um but my favorite scene has got to be the bat scene um when jack is chasing uh his wife up the uh what's her what's the wife's name What's your uh, actual name? Wendy. Wendy, gosh. Um, when he's chasing Wendy up the stairs, uh, that was just, man, it was so creepy and so scary. And that's another part where you really 
you discover how far that he he has gone because she walks in there and sees the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah. Um, all that stuff. And just, you know, just pages and pages of it written. I mean, he is just gone, dude. He's written that. I, I mean, it's he it's, wrote like a he wrote like a 200 page book of just, just that. say the same. It, there's a theory, actually, that Stanley Kubrick wrote all that. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I could see it, man. I could see it. Or maybe he made Jack Nicholson do it. Um, but, yeah, so I, I really liked that, and I thought that that was great. But then um, it kind of leads from the first time that she comes in and interrupts him. is because every time you come in here, you have this conversation, it interrupts me and interrupts my thought process and yeah. all that. You know, it's just Do you hilarious. not understand the obligation I have to, you know, watch over this hotel? Do you not understand? Yeah, yeah. He just kind of... He just flips out. Like, his anger switch just goes bananas. Like, all of a sudden, it he's gone. He's completely yeah. flipped the page. He is psychopath. Do you not understand yeah. that I'm here to work? Do you not understand, you know, what I'm trying to do here, that I'm here to write, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just... And that, that, actually, my favorite line of the movie is in there, so... Yeah. Wait, are you, are you talking about the Wendy light of my life? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, go ahead. Say it, say it, because that's um, that's relevant. So, Wendy, darling, light of my life, I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, that's kind of a strange favorite line to have, but I think it's just one of the more well-written, uh, it just kind of takes a, a large curve there at the end. Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. It's funny that you say that because I actually debated heavily if I was going to make that my favorite line because that was, that was up there for me. Uh, I went with something else. But, um, yeah, I mean, that whole conversation that he has with her, he is just, oh, dude, he's gone, man. And he's so horrifying. And, and her acting in that scene is really good because she's just like, I'm confused, you know? Yeah. And he's like, what do you think we should do? Like, I think that he needs help. I think he needs to see a psychiatrist. Like, leave to leave? You know, just yeah. that whole conversation. Oh, man. He's gone. Yeah. He's, and, he's lost it. But, yeah, Jack Nicholson's acting in that scene is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's fantastic. He I really absolutely. He is this character, you know? Like, it, that's what I like about his acting and other actors such as Tom Hardy and... No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but in other actors that you just forget who they are. You forget completely who they are, what kind of actor they are. You know, there's... Okay, so when I watch Ryan Phillippe in Cruel Intentions, he's Ryan Phillippe the entire time, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. When you watch Paul Walker in anything, he's Paul Walker in that role. When I watch mm-hmm. The Rock in any... You know, just like certain people, certain actors. When I watch Leonardo DiCaprio or Tom Hanks or Daniel Day-Lewis or Jack Nicholson, they... They disappear. 
into the yeah. threads of the story, you know, and it's just And so it's also interesting amazing. for such high profile actors to do that. Like it's really impressive, you know, know, because we all know who Jack Nicholson is and we've seen his, you know, we we've seen his persona on TV and yeah. stuff, but then he slips game? into a role and you don't see Jack Nicholson anymore. He was definitely Jack Torrance during this. Yeah. So, um yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah, he's that's a, that's a fantastic scene and then he takes that hit on the head and I just oh man, it's just it's just crazy. Just, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and then he tumbles yeah. down the stairs. Ooh. Well, and but let's talk about this for a minute. I mean, let's talk about this, uh, the relationship that he has between. And I, this is where I wanted to get into my discussion because I'll bring up mine. But my favorite lines at near the end, and okay. you know what it is. Perfect. So, um, <laughs> but um, the relationship between Jack and Wendy um, as they're slowly slipping and he has this like, he has a lot of resentment toward his wife because she blamed him for whatever happened whatever happened with Danny and he doesn't think that he hurt his kid on and whether he did or not we don't know what happened but either way she pretty much held that he would she was angry about that and he had to stop drinking because of that and so he has this resentment towards her because now he's a danger to his son Mm -hmm. and he's not as good of a dad anymore and he's had to stop drinking and so he has this miserable months on the wagon (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly what he says um and so i find that fascinating but also this is something that got brought up i can't remember it was one of the some some director that was commenting on this um he said that in this in this relationship and in a lot of relationships you can see this throughout all people is that in a lot of relationships there is a party that is more invested than the other and you can see that in this film that Wendy is more invested in the relationship than he is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he sees his family as an obligation, whereas she sees her family as her life. And so th- th- so th- that's when he starts slowly slipping away is that these ghosts slowly pick apart his um, his resentment of his family and are able to convince him that the right thing to do is to punish them or to what is what does Darby say all the time? Um, uh, correct them, yeah, or something correct like them, that. Yeah. yeah, and so it slowly forces him to eventually realize that well, the only option is to just kill them. So it, yeah. I just found that I find that fascinating. You know what I mean? And, the, and, it, that, and it clicks in Torrance's mind that mm-hmm. you know, and you see that kind of light bulb in that mm-hmm. scene that he has, just like oh. And that's when you yeah. as the viewer go, oh, no, he's going to kill <laughs> He's going to kill mm-hmm. his family, you know. But that also then it also makes sense that Wendy's character, uh, she puts up with this stuff for a long time. She's been living in isolation in this hotel with her husband and her son. And her husband is slowly freaking losing her, losing his mind. And um, you would a lot of people would say, like, well, gosh, wouldn't she? Why didn't she stick up for herself? And like, why didn't she do anything about this beforehand? You know, but. She loves this man. That's mm-hmm. her husband. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she just cares for him and wants him to to be happy and uh, you know, so she just goes along with it. And eventually at a certain point it's like, "Oh, okay. Well, he he is he's off tipped. the rocker and he's gone." Yeah. yeah. But so it's it's an interesting argument. You can argument, see the harsh you know? realization that she has to come to, you know. Yeah. You can see it in well, that scene, in that scene with the bat, you know, where yeah. she's just like, "I'm just confused." Like I 
I've been trying and trying and trying, but uh, you know, all of a sudden she just realizes that he's he's gone. He's and then, a threat and, and to they, her and her child. And Danny and Jack are delusional in the sense that they're seeing freaking spirits and ghosts and stuff that are communicating yep. things to them. And she's delusional in the sense that she's trying to pretend like there's nothing wrong. Yeah. She's you just hiding I mean? it all. Yeah. She's just, yeah. you know, suppressing all of this. Yeah. Um, so cool. Is there anything else you want to bring up before I jump into my favorite line here, which, um, I'm just going to bring up one just, of the, one of the last scenes uh, in the movie. I just want to note how comical it is that Halloran, they flash back to him several times, just on the phone, worried about him. He takes a plane, goes all the way to Colorado from, I think, Miami or wherever he is. Yeah, he's somewhere in Florida. He goes through so much just to walk into this hotel and get an <laughs> axe to the chest. I mean, it is so hilarious to me that they... <laughs> <laughs> they do, man. They go back to him build so him many times. So much. Like, they build it up so much that he's coming to save the day, and he walks in, and around the corner comes a freaking axe to his chest. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like oh dude come on <laughs> it's so true he just seriously keeps getting little calls from danny like come help me whatever and he's just sitting there enjoying enjoying watching tv with uh whatever uh lewd photos or lewd posters oh my gosh, on the wall yeah just i know like strange yeah naked women on naked the wall women on the walls it's like gosh what kind of person are you you know i know who in the world uh, has naked posters on their walls that is just in the 80s i guess maybe but i don't know I yeah feel like you see that a lot of times in movies like guys have like the calendars in their workshop or something it's like how terrible is that that's just like hey dude if i walked into a workplace and there was like pinups or something on the wall i would immediately be like i'd be like what no, doing here you're, this is come on you're sick grow up come on grow exactly up. just grow up like it's not yeah that's not cool <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's so when weird. they show that in Halloran, you immediately kind of think that you're like, well, that's not cool at all. Yeah. So I yeah. kind of don't like you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. He <laughs> just gets on like the freaking, the tractor or whatever that the snow snow cat. Yeah, the snow cat. Thank you. Um, he just like gets out of there and comes in. Hello, hello. Oh, hey, how was your trip? Bam! Axe to the yeah, chest. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, I love that. Um, yeah, great point. Great point. Um, so my favorite line is most definitely the uh, "Here's Johnny." Um, because that was, and so just the history behind that line, um, this occurs when he is got the ax and he's going in to kill his wife and his child. Um, and he starts chipping away at the wall and he makes a big enough gap in there. And this was totally, this is, this goes back into Kubrick forcing his actors to do the same scene again and again and again and again and again. And so this is like the 31st or 32nd take that he's chipped through this wall and, uh, is delivering this stuff. But he puts his face through the wall and goes, here's Johnny. And it's actually a reference to the Johnny Carson show. Uh, Ed McMahon says that at the beginning of every show. Here's Johnny. And then Johnny comes out and delivers his uh, his monologue. Um, but uh, it's, it's hilarious because that wasn't written in the script. That was totally just Jack Nicholson making a joke. But it was just a great joke. And it totally made sense. And they left it in. And it's one of the most iconic movie 
movie references or movie quotes ever. It is. Yeah, and like it, we talked about. I mean, that that line is so famous. Just yeah, from, it is totally from improv. this movie, you know, yeah. maybe from the you know Johnny Carson show for um, people born before 2002, but um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's it's just one of those things. Every time you hear "Here's Johnny," it you just picture Jack Nicholson. Absolutely, shoving his face through that gap. And so, before actually, one little thing about that scene is uh, basically right before Jack Nicholson was warming up. And like getting super pumped for it, and he grabs an axe off the bed and swings it around the room, like behind his head, and he almost hit one of the, um, I don't think cameraman, just somebody that was working on the film, like with the sharp edge of the axe. He almost. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because he was just warming up in the zone, grabs the axe off the bed, and just kind of starts like shaking it around. There was a guy right behind him that's just like. Ugh. Kind of I like, actually, I actually read that uh, that he was a, a volunteer fireman too, and oh, so wow. he the first door that they put up, he just went to town and just got it down so quick that they had to reinforce the doors because Jack Nicholson would just break those things through yeah. so quickly that is so to make awesome. it more difficult for him. I know, right? It's um, a great line, though. Here's Johnny. Yeah, great line. Definitely, definitely the best one for me. And I mean, it's it's the most uh, it's the stereotypical, or excuse me, uh, just the obvious line. Line yeah. to pick, but it's also the best line in the movie for me. Like, there's can't get out, can't you, you know, can't really get much better than that. It. Yeah, so and then, and just the story behind it. I love the fact that it's a Johnny Carson reference and Ed McMahon thing. So yeah. it's great to me. I'll huff and um, puff and blow the door down or whatever. Blow your house in. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And he's dude. He's and that's the thing is that Jack Nicholson is actually at his wit's end. He's so tired. Yeah of filming and delivering these lines that he's actually going a little bit crazy. So it's um, amazing. And then, you know, uh, from there, you know, the whole maze, like we talked about, I love that scene too. And I think it's so funny because not many movies do this. You expect him to have like one last hurrah, just like in scream or something, but all of a sudden it just flashes to the next day and he's frozen sitting there. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Like, Oh, he's dead. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Like, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, he just, he's, he's dead. just dead. So, yeah. And then, so what do you think about the ending where it shows his picture, or he's he's in that photo at the very end? I have no idea what to think about that, to be honest. I have, it's, it's that is so confusing to me. A theory that I saw online that I definitely, I just agreed with, like, I read it and I was like, yep, that's gotta be it, is that, um that picture is just a representative of all the people that have been claimed by the hotel. Um, oh. or those are, that's all the ghosts that are haunting the hotel. And so he was just put into that photo. And had you looked at that photo like a week ago, he wouldn't have been in it. But now he's just in the photo as another victim of the Overlook Hotel. As the caretaker. You know, Darby says he's been the caretaker all along. And I forgot to mention this. In one of the opening scenes when they're taking the tour of the grand, like the lobby, uh, cause he eventually, oh yeah. Okay. So everything's like kind of toned red in the entire movie throughout the entire movie. And he puts on like a burgundy jacket at a certain point. And that's when he starts going crazy. When they're walking through one of the main ballrooms, uh, there's a guy wiping down like a clock or something like that in a burgundy jacket that looks exactly like Jack Nicholson. And, um, Jack Torrance kind of looks at him like he walks by looks at him and it's supposed to be like a reference of the character to come. Um, mm-hmm. which I thought was really interesting. 
So, but yeah, I think that is really interesting. Like, yeah, all the victims that this thing has claimed. That's a really good way to look at that. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's one. Because I, besides I just, besides that, I don't know. I just don't. know. Yeah, exactly. Like what, he's a hundred years old or something. Yeah, he's been there the whole time. Because that know. that photo was taken in like the nineteen thirties or forties or something. Or was it twenty seven? Maybe. Was it? Yeah, I think it was the twenties. Yeah. Flappers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isn't a speakeasy. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so that's yeah, that's that's the shining. I think that that's uh, we did a pretty there's, good job. There's of, so much more to talk about. I know this that's could be the a three-hour podcast if we wanted. But yeah, we really could break this movie down forever. Um, but I think that I think that we got all we needed to out of the at least at least for the present moment out mm-hmm. of the shining. Um, but let's breaks it down to the the standard question, Dan. Are you uh, is this movie better than School of Rock? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, in my head, uh, you know, which one do I want to watch tonight with some popcorn? School of Rock, no doubt. But yeah, I would pick watching School of Rock over this every time. Hundred percent. But but I think it's this a better, is a better movie. It's a better film. Yeah. Yeah, it's a better film. So I mean, you get Jack you Black to... in there, you know. Red rum, you... red rum, red rum, fleeing <laughs> yeah. You know, something like that. He's just doing the little finger thing with Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Danny's not here. Did you like that opening, by the way? Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. Actually, that's another thing is that Danny, uh, Danny Lloyd, he, that wasn't um, scripted that he was supposed to do the little finger thing. He just kind of did that. That that was improvisation by that kid. That's great. It's funny because you picture like a little face on the finger. In your head. I know, every <laughs> time. Well, just the standard smiley face. Yeah, a little like, me, 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 little weasel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's better. Yeah, it's better. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anyway, um, I guess that kind of wraps it up for everybody that's listening. First of all, thank you so much for, um, for continuing to listen. The support means a lot to me and Dave. Um, and it's, you know, made us really make this a part of our, you know, we've made this a part of our lives now. And uh, it's something that we do every week now. So we really enjoy it. Keep listening. Keep sharing. Find us on the podcast app on your phone. We are on iTunes. So please subscribe. Uh, if you like it, please write a review. It helps us. And, uh, you know, keep sharing it to your friends. We're, we also have a website, www.professorjones.com, um, which I update weekly on all of our new stuff. Got Scream up there. So if you haven't checked out our Scream podcast from last week, please go check it out. Um, it's a good movie. But uh, anyway, we are on Instagram, Professor Podcast. Twitter, uh, we are at Professor Jones. And Facebook, Professor Jones. SoundCloud, our main pla- uh, platform. Um, but yeah, we're, we're getting into the Instagram thing a little bit, posting some pictures. I'm also on Instagram, Daniel Hunter Jones. It's my name. Dave's on there, Dave TJ23. Dave T, wait. Yeah, Dave TJ23. It's uh, Michael Jordan. That's correct. Yeah, it's Dave TJ, 23. So yeah, check us out. Also, uh, a huge shout out to Leanna Preston for all the artwork. Amazing stuff. I know she has a, a drawing for The Shining worked up that actually looks pretty amazing. It's pretty hilarious, actually. Can't wait until you see it, Dave. Um, and a huge shout out to Michael Corson for the amazing music that he provided for our show. Thanks a lot for listening, you guys. We'll be here with you next week, living our lives quarter mile at a time.
And if I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.